We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Dan Schneier, I'm here with my co-host Nick Turchin. We're here to break down the early goings of the NFL draft. Today what we're going to do is go by prospect by prospect to break down some of the players the Giants may be interested with the number six, number 17, and with the number 37 overall picks in the NFL draft. We're going to stick with that for today. On future shows, we're going to go deeper into the rest of this draft class. But for now, we're going to go on a pick-by-pick basis. And we're going to kick this thing off right away. I've made it clear where I stand on quarterback Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. He's my number one overall prospect in this class and for the Giants and basically any team who needs a quarterback. Nick, where do you stand on the Oklahoma quarterback after having more of a chance to look into him? Uh, I think he's kind of it's – re- it's really him or Haskins for QB1 slash QB2. I think a lot of guys are going to have that board there and have him on their board there. Um, I did a thread on, on him um, maybe two – I don't know how long ago it was. It was probably three or four weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm super high on him. I really like his quick, active feet within the pocket. Uh, shows good connection to the ground, like his ability to throw anticipation, uh, throw with anticipation to the outside on basically a regular basis. Um, I like his ability to read, to ID things pre-snap and then understand the, the dynamics post-snap. Um, but to, to really, the, what it boils down to me, I think if you're if you're kind of a Murray guy, I think it, the best fit has to be um, a, a OC that is not willing to or doesn't want this quarterback to come in and have to rely on the quick game right off the, right off the bat. I think that's kind of his like a little bit of Achilles' heel is the is the is the uh, is the consistency factor from zero to ten yards. If he's asked to, you know, if you're asking for thirty five to forty five attempts a game, um, outside of that, I think he opens up other parts of the playbook that if you have creative guys that can help or can, can mix in the play mix there that use his legs 
and then use hit, used pop passes very similarly to kind of how Lincoln Riley did at times. Um, I think he's, he's his, his talent could be could be unbelievably special, especially with the deep ball for sure. And Nick, when I hear things like I don't know if he can come in right away and operate in a quick game offense, I completely understand them. But at the same point, I don't think NFL coaches are doing their job at least not doing it well if they don't incorporate and change their offense for a prospect like Murray at the quarterback position. Um, obviously, I've talked about it before, but I love his ability to throw from different arm angles with different trajectory and different touch. I love his ability to open up the deep passing game with his arm talent. And to me, it's all a risk worth taking. But Dwayne Haskins, moving on to him, is my QB too. But I also have 10 players in this draft class ahead of him, including Murray. And that doesn't mean I wouldn't necessarily take a chance on Haskins at number six. And it doesn't mean I'll disappointed if, I'll be disappointed if they draft him there. But when it comes to Haskins, Nick, I do worry about his deep passing accuracy and his velocity and his ability to create off script with his feet. Nick, I know you're much higher on Haskins. Can you ease those concerns for me and, uh, and some of our listeners? Yeah, I think that the hard part about Haskins is you have one season with a ton of improvement. So if you watch six games, you know, if you, you'd be kind of overwhelmed by the the last four games where he really was pretty lights out. And then you could kind of see the issues that he had in the Purdue game and other games earlier in the season. Um, the growth curve was definitely pretty quick. I think the what I think makes Haskins most most interesting is day one, he can come in and hang his hat on the quick game and the ability to distribute the ball on time from the pocket. There's really no one better in this draft class that can do that. Um, the issues are moving off his spot and basically some would say to pressure, but I think he improved vastly to pressure as the, as the season went on and was actually basically just a, a, an issue with him being a rookie. Um, his deep ball placement, I've talked to a bunch of guys about this. Fran Duffy over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, he doesn't think that it, he, he's, he's actually pretty high and I mean, doesn't think that's much of an issue because if you look at the overall um, percentages for what he was hitting on his deep ball was kind of middle of the range. I think the placement was lacking in a lot of throws. Um, but as I looked on the, as the season went on, I, I think that it, he flashed the ability. So he showed the improvement. That's the biggest thing. So a lot of scouting has to do with projecting, not telling the history of what he was doing and how it was so poor during parts of the season, but where to, to basically get the projection for where it's going to be. And so I definitely saw enough of the improvement. Um, the other side of it gets into a little bit of throwing mechanics. Um, not, not a lot. It's not a massive change, but when he missed deep, it was a lot to do with his uprightness and his motion, where his left plant foot was straightening and he was kind of locking out or casting. A lot of guys use a lot of different terminology when you talk about that side of it. Look, improving throwing mechanics is super hard. Guys like Dan Orlovsky will tell you that it's impossible to change for a quarterback. I think that little details like keeping your knee flex through his motion is very simple to do, and I think that that would be – that a quarterback coach is going to be able to find ways to improve his footwork very simply and not change the rest of his motion cycle because I think it's there. I think there, when that happens, you're going to see the deep balls, his deep ball accuracy and placement improve. And you're also going to see, which is what I saw too during the year, which is a little funky, Ohio State's wide receivers are good, but they weren't amazing at the catch point. I think that with NFL receivers at the catch point, this guy can, you know, his number, those numbers will increase. Nick, you mentioned a lot of things that do ease my concerns when it comes to Haskins, especially from a mechanical standpoint with the deep passing game. But one thing you didn't mention, or at least didn't ease my concern with, was his ability to make plays when he's forced off his spot. You did mention it as a negative, but did you do you have anything further on that that gives you reason to believe that that will improve at the next level, or is this just something you think 
can be negated by kind of that Philip Rivers, Tom Brady factor of reading the defense so well and processing so fast eventually, obviously it won't be in his rookie year, but eventually that it kind of overcomes that negative. Yeah, I think that's 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 kind of the way to look at it. I think it's going to be hard because, like, look at the spots where he's improved the most. You're talking about, like, second reaction hole shots he was able to improve during the year. The spatial awareness in the pocket really improved during the year, to, to come to your point and hit your point right on the head. By the end of the year, he was understanding where he was in relation to everyone else. At the, at the beginning of the year, that was terrible. Um, so he saw added moves like even shuffling in the pocket, which I swear to God, they weren't even working with him on the first half of the year because you, you don't see him shuffle at all or even sidestep at all. He's basically just stuck there. So those elements of adding those simple pocket movements, I just think it's a, I think it's a, a repetition thing. The more he'll do it, the better he'll get. And I think that's where I started getting more excited about his ceiling where guys before had been kind of questioning, you know, what, you know, is, is he kind of topped out? I think he's only kind of just begun because you have some clear areas that I think with more reps, you're going to get, you're going to get a better quarterback over time. Yeah. I hear you, Nick. And I would never, my evaluation of Haskins or the reason I may not have him potentially in my top 10 overall and as high as Murray, it's not to do with the fact that I think he's, uh, you know, maxed out. I think I do see the ceiling there. For me, my issues are more concerned with, are those negatives something you can overcome at the next level? I think most likely they can. You did a great job breaking down how you can overcome them. But I think some of those are, are hard. I think footwork, for example, or just creating off script in general is is mostly natural. I do believe that. Um, and I think that while he can improve his footwork within the pocket, I think in general, if he's going to reach a ceiling, for me at least, it's going to have to come from a cerebral standpoint um, and his ability to you know use his quick release and use his processing and use his accuracy in the quick game um, and in those in that crossing game in the mesh game to to overcome all to overcome some of those the negatives but but time will tell on this one and especially time will tell the Giants actual interest in Haskins but we'll move on away from the quarterbacks for a second for another player in play at number six overall and again we're going over all the possible players right now in play at number six overall then we'll move to number 17 and finally number 37 but this guy is Quinnen Williams who I believe is probably the best Overall player in this class, if you don't factor in positional scarcity at all, where do you rank Williams, Nick, and would you bypass a position of greater need at number six if Williams fell? Uh, he's pretty high up there. If he's not the best player, he's got to be a top three. Um, you know, athletic ability for a guy who's playing inside, is this is near elite on the tape. Um, really good change of direction. His range is greater than I thought. He's not just a power guy. This guy, you know, and I guess if people don't know the background, he was outside his junior year, uh, you know, as a five and six and seven tech, and then basically bumped out inside because he understood that the guys outside were uh, uh, for Alabama were better than he was. So he's a one-year player where he gained, I think it was like 25 to 30 pounds because um, he's playing, he played at, he was six six oh three oh three hundred three pounds. Um, you know, the big, Biggest thing that I have to say that, that he just jumps off the tape is his, his arm over move is one of the best arm over moves I've ever seen for an interior guy. Not just because he does it, because the way he keeps his balance and keeps his head level through it, his vision is awesome. His vision is actually, I think it would be like snacks over a two to five year period. Um, so yeah, I think that you got a guy that inside can develop his pass rush game even more as time goes on and be a very, very, very good in the run support. And basically someone who can play from zero to five tech, I think pretty easily. Um, and, you know, he was a dominating force against some pretty good interior players against the, I mean, the A&M game, the Mizzou game, I think in the Mizzou game, they had no idea what to do with them. Uh, that guard number 71, he just destroyed that guy. 
Uh, so you see real dominance in a pretty good conference. Um, you know, I think that the there are, from what I've kind of heard, there's a there's a couple of questions in general about maybe he's like he, he's got a really good, really interesting story uh, with his mom dying at a, at a young age and and from a and just he's kind of a lot happened to him as a kid. He's kind of overcome a lot of adversity, but it just may be a lot for him maybe in his first year. Um, so I, I'm just wondering, the only question I would have if I were the Giants is if he fell, can he give you that production that I've talked about, that we've talked about from day one, you know, that they need so badly to make the rest of their defense work? I think that's the only hesitation. Yeah, I mean, I can see I can see that. I mean, but I do think that, uh, you know, what something you mentioned in there, Nick, that, that you know, Quinn and Williams, not only is he this awesome interior defensive line prospect, but he's had success all over the interior defensive line at Bama, you know, sometimes even at nose where he played, I think I read today on pro football folks, he played almost a hundred snaps there, I believe. So um, Williams is a player. I think the giants will value that versatility and that ability. Listen, even if he is an interior guy, he's still someone who they can put in different alignments and different, you know, depending on different formations and different personnel packages at different times of the game. Uh, But moving away from Williams, a player who, you know, most believe the Giants would be getting kind of a best player overall, a uh, best player available type uh, by at number six overall. We'll, we'll talk about Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan, a player who I actually have as my number eight overall prospect for the Giants. So this is not it's not a big board based on what I would do for every team. And for me, it's based on scheme fit and a combination also of how rare it just is, in my opinion, to find a linebacker like Bush who can impact the game as a blitzer in pass coverage and against the run. And also just based on what his what his production, what his production at Michigan and his athletic projection to the next level. So my question for you, Nick, would be, is it too early to select Bush at number six overall? Yeah, that gets into that's a tough evaluation question for the position. Um, I'm not I, I would I, 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 th- I don't think he's going to go that high. I think it's going to be just below there, somewhere in the 10, like the eight to 12 range. Um so overall, yeah, I, I'm. I just watched three games of his. This basically all the all today. Um, I'm super high on him. I think he's the best linebacker in the draft. But I, you know, is it is do you value that position that highly? I don't know, especially when, you know, he really projects to a four three Mike. Um, well, everyone plays basically a four two over front in, in sub package, but seventy percent of the time. But you know, he's going to be a four three Mike or a three. I think he absolutely can play three four inside linebacker. Probably want to be on the weak side a lot and. Probably use a little bit how Don Brown used him um, with, with with the blitzing factor. Yeah, so it, you know, can he impact the game as a blitzer and in, and and against a run? Absolutely. In coverage, you're going to see you're going to see not limitations. He's he, it, it's not his it's not his strong suit. I think he's very good against the run. I think he absolutely has the speed to to basically cover almost any running back in the league. But you know, I think that area he's going to improve on as time goes on. I think that he is he's. He, by far the um, by far the best cover linebacker that I've seen so far uh, of the in, the in the first round talk of guys, but I don't know if it's that's not really his his I don't know if he's a full three down player yet. Meaning when they're in sub package and it's third down and long, they're going to be using him as a blitzer 100. percent He's much better there than he's in coverage. Well, it's interesting you say that because if he's not a three down player, I don't think they'll definitely take they would consider him at six overall, but. You know that may you may just be thinking he's not a three down player right away, but based on well, well I have to say this: when you say three down player, I just want to rephrase that. If in in on third down, he's not going to be your tight end matchup guy. He's okay. going to, he, he's going to be taking the running back, or he's going to be what he or he's going to be green dog, and he's going right. to get after. Then he's still impacting the game. Then it's just in a different way. Yeah, it's it's not that it's not that um, 
the money back or versatility. He does not have that yet. Could he get there? Sure, but it's not a thousand. It's it's just not there yet. Right. So assuming the projection is that he can get there, then, and I'm not saying that will be their projection, but if that is their projection, and I think he is a player who can get there, he's also my number one linebacker in this class. I think that if that is their projection, they would be willing to take him at number six. I really do believe that just because they know, like you said, he's otherwise he's going to go between eight and 12. He's not going to drop all the way to number 17. And it seems unlikely to me the Giants will trade um, up in the first round from 17 unless it's for a quarterback. So, if you know, it comes back to where, in my opinion, where they rank him on their big board. But I wouldn't be totally shocked if he came off at six for the Giants. Um, I don't. I don't think he's gonna. I actually don't think he's gonna compete for the money backer position. Um, I think he'll be a run. He'll be basically. He'll kind of be bumping. If, if the Giants draft him, I would. I wouldn't be surprised to cut a little tree, um, just because it's he's okay. so much better than Ogletree is. Replaceable, replaceable value. He's, he's. He's. It's an easy. It's an easy swap. Well, just cap salary cap wise, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make, and that's what makes the pick kind of interesting. Is is it that valuable? Is it that high? You don't think right. you can fill in that money backer at that at that inside linebacker role next to Ogletree right now, or you don't think he can fit in there at all? I think he can, but he, you're talking about a guy who's 235 pounds and it, and gives some of the you know has delivered some of the biggest hits and uses his hands unbelievably well against 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 linebacker against linemen like full size linemen like he was pancaking. Guys, fucking what game was that? I've looked at my notes, but so like he, with that type of power, I actually wouldn't want. I would want him basically as if in the run fit almost continuously, and and with that being the focus. So yeah, to, to play money backer in this league, does he have to drop twelve pounds? I think he might have to, and that's where it's like okay, that's like a three, that's a two to three year project, I think. Interesting. Well, then in comparison, where do you view Devin Bush, the other linebacker in this class, who? You know, earned a higher earned higher grades according to PFF than Bush's, uh, in, including in pass coverage. But is he a guy who he's a guy who I actually felt how you feel about Bush? It's how I feel about White. I think he would be bumping heads with what they get out of Ogletree from a sideline to sideline uh, perspective. Um, do you think he's a player A who you know is in the same class as Bush, and then B who could fit in the money backer role right away rather than have to transition there? You know, I think I think Devin White's a really good player. Uh, you know, he's six one, two forty, so he's he's like two inches taller, and he's basically seven pounds seven pounds heavier than uh, than 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 Bush. Um, White is White's athletic talent is crazy. Uh, he's a freak. Um, the style that they played though with Dave Aranda um, and what he was asked to do continuously was very one dimensional in pass coverage. They played zone. Um, he was, he, I saw one man coverage in four games. Um, so with that in mind, you know, he never related to two or three in, in coverage in match coverage. He had the, that the Miranda runs a very simple, very fast flow defense there. His, his, his ability to, to key and diagnose, it was like right when the snap was, 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 was made, he was basically moving. There was very little reading. Um, honestly, I, I don't think that, that, that fits at all. I think he'd have to lose twenty. I'd have to. He wouldn't have to lose that much weight. He'd probably lose ten pounds because he's that fast. But he doesn't have that. He he his he, when he runs and he moves, he's he's very high pad level. That gives him good range in like the three to four or five step range. But you know, in terms of playing that money backer, no, I I don't think that. I don't think he's a good fit for the Giants. I really think that he is. He's this quintessential as a four three will or a right. It, it, that's like his definition. It's like very Lance Briggs ish, um, and that's great because he's an overhang and he's and he can make all these plays. And, he, and, and you play him on the boundary. That's what the other thing, too. At LSU, he played almost exclusively on the boundary. Like, he played one spot of the field the entire the entire season. And, 
you know, he's a great player, but that's the guy you want him to be is that, that, that overhang making plays. Yeah, I think I, I think I can see that too when I watch him, Nick. I feel like we're all on the same page there. What I what I, what I'm interested in is that is what you said about Dave Aranda and his defense. He's a, a defense coordinator for LSU, and he was uh, formerly the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin Badgers for the for LSU. Poached him. Um, obviously, for those who know, I'm a diehard Badgers fan. I watch all those games, so I know a lot about Aranda's defense and his attacking style. Um, and I think that might factor in when the Giants are deciding. You know. Do we take a player like White who, when we need someone to make a day one impact on our specific defense and our in, in our specific scheme? So that's something interesting to keep an eye on. But we'll focus now on two more players who I think could be in play at number six overall. And we're not going to touch on tackles, Jawan Taylor and Andre Dillard just yet because uh, Nick's going to get to them a little bit later in the process. But for now, let's focus on some players you have watched. And we'll start with Rashawn Gary, Nick, because – People talk about the athletic profiles of a lot of top prospects in this class, but to me, Gary stands out um, given the Giants' history of drafting defensive linemen, given what he brings to the table from an athletic standpoint. Um, he has a nearly identical frame to Jason Pierre-Paul when he entered the draft, and he tested out as a much better athlete across the board than JPP did, who was considered a dominant athlete in that 2010 draft. My question for you, Nick, is does the tape explain why a player with his athletic gifts only racked up nine and a half sacks across three seasons? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Um, you know, I think it's 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 a it's a function of the defense and the pressure that they that they bring and a function to, the, to his injury this year. I mean, if you watch his 17 tape and go right into his 18 tape, you, you kind of don't see the same player. And the week before the Notre Dame game, which is the opening week of the season, he basically, I don't even know what the injury was called with his shoulder. He ended up having some sort of minor surgery on it, I believe. He missed like four or five games this year. Um, and so when he comes back from that injury, you see him still a little tentative. Um, I think it was his left shoulder because when you watch him – come off his right shoulder and his ability to dip on his right side is, is, is much stronger. Um, in general, here you have a five-star, he was a five-star recruit. He was the number one recruit in the nation. Yeah. Number one recruit in the nation. You know, he goes to a place where, you know, people are going to think he's going to kill it production wise. And I, I, I can't say anything other than, you know, I see him impacting plays, but I just don't see him on this, on the stat sheet. You know, when he's, when he's a three or four tech or four I and he's long stemming and, and the, or he's long sticking, I should say, and and the and Michigan's running America's blitz, and you know someone else racks up the sack. Well, he's helping there, but it's just not a key piece. When he was outside, did he win a lot? You know, he won a lower percentage, I think, because he has a very good long arm move and a very good bull rush. But his counter moves are not fully developed yet. You see a wide range of them, but they're not they're not where they need to be in terms of beating Big Ten tackles. So you project that, and you go, okay, well, what are you talking about now? You're, you know, obviously NFL tackles are unbelievable, right? And so. I think you're going to have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a of a growth of a growth with a, with a prospect like this. But you see the athletic talent, as you mentioned, and their measurables are crazy. So I think it's you know I don't think it's an I don't think it's an effort thing. I think actually he had a really high motor when he came back from the injury, um, and I and everything everything coming out of Michigan says that he that he's that he's basically a good dude. I just think it's there's a lot of risk because or there's risk because you know can he can he make those counter moves. Can he get two or three counter moves that that get him consistent pressure from the outside? That's the hands down question you have to answer. I think it's there, um, but at the six overall pick, I think that's too high. Well, I actually, I'm gonna we're gonna stay on Gary for for a quick minute here because I do think he's an extremely intriguing prospect. Not prospect for the Giants, not at six, but even at seventeen overall. 
based on where I could potentially see him sliding, uh, based on, you know, a lot of the negatives you brought up, in addition to the fact that he just did not have production. So I have a couple more questions on Gary that I want to ask you, Nick. For starters, when the Giants uh, brought in general manager Dave Gettleman and they flipped kind of the script on what they're looking for in this defensive, you know, on this roster from a defensive standpoint, they traded away Jason Pierre-Paul. Now, at the same time, Pierre-Paul best days might have been behind him. He had a bloated contract um, and didn't exactly play well in the first year of his contract. But the question I have to you is, did they trade JPP based on where they projected or the lack of projected fit for him in this scheme? Because, like I mentioned, Gary has a nearly identical frame, almost identical JPPs. Obviously, now Gary's tested out much faster in the 40, uh, straight line speed. He was much better in the short shuttle and three cone combined. Then JPP, better agility from that standpoint, was stronger, more bench press reps, um, and also had a much bigger broad jump. So he's a more explosive athlete from that standpoint, too. But my question is, where does he fit in this scheme? You know, I think that, like you said, at the the combine, he comes in at 6040 and 277 pounds. Kareem Martin is 260, right? Yep. And a little taller. So, you know. Six. Yeah, and so the question is, do you think that he could drop occasionally on the outside, let's say three to five times a game, mostly to the boundary, not covering a lot of space? It would probably be less than that. It would probably be two to three times a game. I absolutely think he has the athleticism too. You know, but to your point, are they going to, are they, do they, this is the question that I think the Giants as a franchise have to, have to understand. Do they want to stick with Betcher's profile, which is pretty specific for his edge rushers? And guys have said, hey, maybe they don't need their main production to come from the edges because they're asking for basically two-way players in some right. cases. Or are they going to say, hey, this guy's production is so good we have to change because of this? And if you and let's be honest, it, you know, they're basically in a 4-2 front 75% of the time, if not more. So they're right. they're, they're not they're, they're not traditional OLBs. It's how much you're asking a guy that's either standing up or, or as a hand in the dirt, which almost has no bearing on 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 the game now. The difference between the two is, is negligible. You know, are you going to ask him to drop off, or are you not? You know, I the the few times I don't, I just don't know if his if you can guarantee that his production is enough to do that for this for the Giants right now. Or versus if he goes to a team where it's it's he's one of of two or three really good guys, right. and they kind of go forward. I, honestly, that's I think that's the conversation that they that they have to be having with themselves because they need it so bad. who I think he can do it, but is he the best guy to do it? I don't know, which is an interesting kind of point in general towards how, you know, everyone knows that, you know, Betcher's going to move you around. He's going to move you to three tech on, you know, on third down. He's going to move you to three tech. He's going to move you to nose. You know, they're going to run diamond fronts just like the Eagles do where Cox goes to zero tech. So if he's not going to do that, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's not, not, not the right fit. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you bring up a great point there. I mean, if he's not going to be able to make an impact early on, it's just, it's not, this might not be the team fit for him. But, you know, I do believe the Giants have specific thresholds they like for the defensive pass rushers. And he really does fit it, at least from an athletic and frame standpoint. So it's, I still think he's on their radar. And I'll go to another player who may be on their radar for number six overall. Um, so I have Drew Locke, court, uh, quarterback out of Missouri, as my number 37 overall prospect on my Giants big board, because that's where I'd be comfortable taking a chance. Having said that, the Giants... We'll have to get him at either number six or number 17 if they're sure. Um, do you like Locke overall, Nick, in the same tier where you just described that you had Haskins or Murray? Is Locke, and in addition to that, is Locke a prospect 
worth bypassing the likes of maybe a Devin Bush or Brian Burns at 17 overall, uh, you know, plus also committing to now not using a first round pick on a quarterback in the 2020 draft class and probably not even the 2021 draft class. Uh, yeah, I've seen maybe four or five locks games across two seasons and the practice and the practices of the senior bowl. I just can't, I can't get there. Um, I think he's a, I think he's going to be a good player. I think he makes some of the best second reaction throws you'll see, um, for this draft class. But like, I just, you know, I think he's got the production in a tough class and that's, or sorry, a tough conference. And that's what is a little misleading. I mean, I don't think, you know, from, if you, the game I think everyone should focus on is the Alabama game from this past year. Um, you know, I don't know why people think he's super mobile and can make plays on the run. He had pretty poor habits in this game. He rarely gets downhill to target. You know, relies on the arm to basically make the play for him versus the habits that are going to give you better placement uh, over time. His footwork's kind of you know, his footwork's his footwork's better than people out to make it out to be, but. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, I don't, I think he can basically still improve. You know, he doesn't really make many anticipation throws and, you know, where he, where he actually is really good is in the red zone. Um, you know, make, making those off schedule throws, basically a second reaction, but just overall, I'm not sure if you're seeing the consistency there and, you know, the best part, his best trait, I think is his ability to lead and his ability to handle basically a group of men. I mean, you could clearly see that in practice and you could clearly hear that in his interviews. And I don't mean to, discredit his other things. Obviously his arm is ridiculous, but just the other parts that actually come into quarterback play, I can't get above. Like, I think he's going to go in the first round somewhere, but I don't think it's above pick 15, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you, Nick. I think that, well, first of all, if your best trait is, you know, how you can lead a team, it's not enough for me to t- use a 17th pick on a player in a, pro- in a draft class with a lot of talent that'll be available that can help the Giants right away at 17. But I will say this, Nick, I do kind of agree with your your overall take on Locke in the sense that a lot of his wow throws that, you know, are turned into these clips and these gifs on Twitter, they look really nice. And when he makes those wow throws, they are really nice, but they are only a few throws from each game. Um, and, you know, like you said, there are a lot of potential flaws in his game that may never be corrected. And to me, this is the reality of not of needing a quarterback. You have to take chances sometimes on prospects. But for me, with the way that the quarterback position is currently slated, and you know, with the fact that if you bypass a, Dan, a Daniel Jones or a Drew Locke in the first round, another team is selecting him, and another team is now committing to him for committing to them, I should say, for the 2020 season. And once again, that's one fewer team competing with you for the likes of maybe Justin Herbert. To, uh, and, and you know, Jake Fromm and everybody who might be in that class. So to me, at this point, I'm not there yet either. Like I said, I'd be comfortable taking him if he falls all the way to number 37, which he never, which a player, you know, with his arm talent in a quarterback class this week will never fall that far. Um, but, you know, that's where I'm at right now. Let's finally move on a little bit to uh, pick number 17 here, Nick. And we're talking about one of my favorite prospects in this entire class, Chase Winovich out of Michigan. I believe his combined per-snap production, which according to Pro Football Focus was borderline elite, uh, combined with his incredible athletic testing. I love his athletic profile. Um, To me, he's exactly what the Giants want at outside linebacker. Is number 17 too early for Winovich? And at the same time, do you like his fit in Betcher's scheme? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's interesting because it's like preseason – Guys were talking like fifth and sixth round for him. 
So it's insane to see one year uh, and a difference a year can make for him. Um, you know, super high motor player. He's a technician as a pass rusher. This is all pretty pretty well documented because he, uh, you know, he's he's a he's a he's a different profile than the guy opposite his, uh, his, you know, him because I think his production exceeded what most people thought it would be. So it's kind of stands in dark contrast to Gary. Um, I think 17 is too high for him. Um, I kind of have him. I think he's going to go somewhere in, in, in the second round. In terms of the Giants, um, I think it gets into the same conversation we have, Gary, where it's like, you know, is his production going to be enough in general, or do you think that he has the overall athleticism and the, and the short-term body, basically, movements to to be able to cover guys, at least in a short flat of uh, of a zone? I think he maybe could. He's a little – he gets his, pot, his pads get a little high, and he kind of – you know, he's not – I think Gary's a much better mover. Um, so I think Gary can do that better than he can, uh, but I still think he could do it. Um, and I think that his production with all, because he's a technician, um, you know, will be able to, you know, there, there's going to be a place on the team for him no matter where he goes. Um, I, my gun to my head, I think he's going to go in the second round. Um, and, you know, the teams are going to be happy with him there. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's, 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 we'll say this though, Nick, I do, I have him at number 25 overall in my big board for the Giants. And I do think He's obviously a much, much better value at number 37 where, you know, he could fall just based on the fact that he might not fit everyone's uh, idea of what they want at that position. But for me, you know, I, I am a little wooed by the fact that his production was awesome. And in addition to that, you know, that might to me, that might have been enough for me to like him as a mid round guy anyway. But then when you combine a four five nine forty yard dash, you know, 94th percentile at his position and more importantly, the three cone, which he finished in the 90th percentile on the short shuttle in the 95th. And for me, short shuttle and three cones that dominant uh, at 256 pounds show me that, you know, you're a potential player who has untapped potential as far as pass rushing around the edge. If you have the right coaching, that's how I view it. I mean, I could be wrong on that, Nick. I know you may have a different opinion of that and kind of what the upside may be from from coaching at the NFL or at the next level. But that's kind of how I see it. So for me, he's one of my favorite targets at 37 overall. Um, for the Giants, if if you know if he does fall into that range, but let's talk about another player who might actually be in play for number seventeen overall, and that's Cody Ford, and he's someone who you know the Giants spent a lot of time with in the pre-draft process. But for me, his short shuttle—I'll admit it—his short shuttle and his three cone concern me. You know, I don't normally like to put too much stock into these testing drills, but you know, when you bomb these specific two drills at the offensive tackle position, and same thing for me with the you know edge rusher position, I do think that you know. What we've seen over time is that it, they are indicative of future success and projection at this at those positions. So I'm a little concerned from that, but not fully concerned. He's my number 18 overall player on the Giants' big board. Where do you fit, view Ford, and do you think he is uh, an immediate fit for the Giants at their right tackle vacancy? Uh I think he's a little bit more of a mauler type, and they would kind of be going in a different direction. Um, in terms of overall, he's a little stiff for me. Um, his lower, his lower body bends from the waist a little bit. Um, he's a mauler. He's a, he's an angry dude. He finishes his block. So he kind of has a good profile that you'd think would fit a power team. I think the giants have to then figure out if they're going to want those types of guys or not. Um, I have a feeling he's, yeah, to, to, to answer your question. Yeah. The, the short shell and the three cone do have concerns for me as well. Um, you know, just because his overall athleticism, you know, can he can he really provide a multiple attack for a, you know for a, in the running game for an offense if they want that if they want to have it, an attack like the Eagles and what the Giants say they want where it's like we can flip between gap and zone schemes pretty pretty seamlessly I'm not sure if he can do that I think he had great coaching in Oklahoma I think they absolutely got the got got a got a good you know 
he was able to do that to some degree against Big 12 opponents. But at the NFL level, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I would see him more as a, as a gap scheme guy. And I don't even know I want to say this, but I actually almost see him more as a guard. Um, I know that's not how other guys see him, but in the end, that's, I, I think he may kind of end up at that spot in the league. Yeah, I mean, you're not the first person to say he might end up as a guard in the NFL. Um, and you know what? You, you bring up a lot of good points there, there, Nick. And it's kind of all about does he fit what the Giants want to do there. And for me, when I look at Cody Ford, I look at his teammate, offensive tackle, uh, Bobby Evans. And, you know, I look at what the Giants did last year when they didn't take Bradley Chubb, but they did get uh, B.J. Hill based a lot on what they saw from him when watching Chubb's tape at NC State. Obviously, Evans and Ford were teammates at Oklahoma, the two respective tackle positions. And I think that for me, getting him at pick number 108 or getting him later in the draft versus Ford at 17 presents a much better value play for the Giants. And I think that would ultimately be direction they go if they do draft one of these Oklahoma offensive linemen. So that's kind of where I stand on that one. But another player who, you know, I'm not very, I'm very against taking at number 17 overall. And I don't even know if I'd be in for taking it at number 37 overall, which you'll approach you probably won't last to. And that's a player who the Giants did bring in for a top 30 visit, and it's Clellan Farrell uh, out of Clemson. So, you know, either they're interested in him or they're trying to figure out why they're great. So for me, I'm not a fan of his fit at all at outside linebacker, um, you know, given not only his frame, which doesn't fit it, and is really poor agility testing. Um, I, I've seen these players come into the draft with a lot of production from a big school uh, while playing alongside really talented players. I mean, the Clemson also has my favorite defensive lineman in this class, Christian Wilkins, my favorite defensive lineman from that team, the top 15 player for me, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Um, and I've seen it, you know, fall. I've seen it with Kevin Dodd, who, you know, failed in the NFL. I've seen it with Derek Morgan, a player who, you know, another player who, like Farrell to me is more of a four-three right, you know, a four-three defensive end, and he's another player who, who was compared, you know, who, who I'm sorry, Lance Zerdline of NFL.com compared Farrell's game to, and he's another guy who didn't work in the NFL. So, can you quell those concerns on, uh, for me on Farrell? Do you see one? Do you see him as a fit for Betcher? Two, do you like him as a pick at 17? You know, in general, you're talking about guys six-four, two sixty-four, right at the combine. So he's going to be in that area where you know he's a little bit smaller than tight-wise than 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 Martin. But he's kind of on the borderline where I think, yeah, you're going to have, like, if, if 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 the Jets picked him in some random way, you know, Greg Williams is going to tell me to gain weight, okay? Right. Like, and and so you're he's in he's a little bit of a hybrid, he's a little in between. Um, at Clemson with Venables, you know, is he really one of the higher draft picks that was asked to drop back you know, as a, as a, as a, as an edge? Yes, and was it often? No. Um, his movement skills are, I would say, adequate to solid. Um, you know, is he going to match up against a running back in man? No. Is he going to play the short flat zone like Kareem Martin does? Yeah, I think he can do that. Um, I think it gets into, and this is too bad because I like his tape. Um, he wins on the low side a lot, which you don't see from um, most of these traffic. Most college guys win with burst and speed up the field. And then usually the offensive lineman has some sort of a poor set and you see him show some level of bend, some level of rip, and they're at the quarterback, and, you know, like, you know, 1.8 seconds later. He actually has a pretty wide range of moves on the low side, meaning he can basically defeat the, defeat the block on the inside um, is kind of the way to say it. You know, everyone's made a lot about how he smoked Jonah Williams in the, in the, uh, in the, in the Bama game. And, yeah, he, he, there are kind of a few things going on there, but, yeah, he, he, he flashed that he can do that. So I think he can play at a high level. Um, the measurables – 
kind of talk about maybe he's a little limited. I think he's a, I think he's a fine fit. Um, I just don't know if guys at this at pick seventeen if if they're going to want to have a dominant pass rusher who can beat guys who at the NFL level can beat guys consistently on the outside. You know, is he is he a good enough and a versatile enough pass rusher yet? I, I think that's what people are are questioning. And then with his measurables being weak as they were as they are, um, you know, I, I get the hesitation. I get the hesitation. So I'm I'm kind of mixed. Uh, I think he would be a good fit, but I think at pick seven, pick number seventeen again, I think it'd be a little high. Um, but I, I get it, and I actually, I actually do like him. Well, we're not going to agree on all these prospects, Nick. That's just part of the game. For me, uh, you know, I just th- I've seen a lot of prospects like Farrell come and come and go in the first borderline first second round of the NFL draft, and I, I don't know how many of them with that specific profile that we just kind of went over. Um, you know, overall outlook, I should say, have succeeded and translated. But we'll move on to another player at number seventeen could be in play, and you know, it would be. <laughs> You know, from a fan's perspective, if I was if I was you know asking the eight-year-old Dan Schneier, New York Giants fan, to weigh in on this, or to, I guess eleven was when I really got into it, um, I would say it's a throw your remote pick, and that's quarterback Daniel Jones out of Duke. Um, for me, I don't believe he has a quick enough release. I don't. I think his mental processing is overrated. I worry about his arm talent um, at the next level, and if it will open up, you know, avenues for how opposing defenses can deploy their safeties against the Giants. I believe you're now also then committing to not drafting a quarterback in the 2020, probably not the 2021 class, waiting on Daniel Jones to come around. Um, am I wrong, Nick? And is there any pick you would feel comfortable selecting Jones at? Yeah, I think with Jones, you got to get you got to get comfortable with a lot of things. Um, I think he's got some habits. I think there's a lot of misperceptions about Jones out there. I don't really get the total hate because I think there's a clear path to a QB two. Um, from a background perspective, if people listen to the podcast, uh, the Bucky and Daniel Jeremiah did the Wait, deep dive on Daniel Jeremiah. Back that one up a little real quick, Nick. Did you say a clear path to QB2? Yeah, so it's QB2 up for a team. Yeah, Like, back, for, like a backup quarterback. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you, but, I mean, if that, uh, let's just break this down, though, a little bit, Nick. If you're saying there's a clear path to him being a backup quarterback, that's not something you can afford to spend the number 17 overall pick on, can you? That's the thing. So then it gets into okay. So the the spot is wrong, and yeah, I totally see him as a second rounder. But I but I think that you know you have a bunch of quarterbacks in this class that are going to hope to get on a path to QB two of the ones that actually get there, like guys like Will Greer. You know, I think like you know Daniel Jones is head and shoulders above Will Greer as a path as a, as a, as a floor to QB two. He can get you there for sure. You know, he has some bad habits. He has some. He has some bad habits, but I think this is, the, the habits thing gets really interesting. And if you, everyone looks at David Cutcliffe, he's a great quarterback coach, and 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 obviously he's mentored Eli, and he's mentored and he's mentored Peyton. But Peyton, from what I heard, didn't get his you know he didn't get his habits from his coaching in college. He got his habits after because he's a maniac. Eli does not have tremendous habits. Neither does Daniel Jones in terms of pocket presence, pocket movement, footwork, all that stuff. I think if he got more refined, yeah, you could. You, the, the QB two path is totally there because, you know, he's pretty mobile. His arm is just good enough, and he's he makes solid decisions. You know, overall, I think that's where if he if he, if he continues on that path, yeah. If you're talking about the seventeenth overall pick, I'm saying no. If you're talking somewhere in the second round and you're okay with that, you know, and I think that's where it gets into why would you be okay with that? And I, you know, that comes down to meeting and culture and understanding that he was a walk-on at Duke and you know understanding that he's basically overcome a lot. I mean he was I was listening to his high school coach today. Like he wasn't even he wasn't recruited by like anybody. He was going to Princeton until 
<laughs> until basically his high school coach called um, Cutcliffe in like a last ditch effort. And so I think you, I think he's he's pretty resilient, and he's maybe a little more down to earth than his than kind of what what has been displayed to him in the media. But I don't think that he can. I don't think he's a first rounder, and I don't think that it's someone where you know you're going to want. I don't think a team's going to call him a franchise quarterback right away. I think that he has a lot of the stuff that you would want, um, but a lot of it needs to be refined, and I think it can. But again, you're asking for a change, so I don't think he can get above the second round. I think, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying, Nick. I think we just have kind of a different philosophy on on where you should be targeting a guy who, who, if you believe, you do truly believe his ceiling is is more uh, weighted and focused on a backup quarterback or a strong backup quarterback type role. I just have a different opinion on, you know, I don't think you should use a more than anything earlier than a fourth round draft, a day through draft pick on a player like that. Now, I think a lot of that factors into the fact that, listen, you can get Tyrod Taylor for two years, $10 million on the open market, right? You know, you got him this offseason. Right now, they have team got him for that. Um, and in addition to that, you know, while, while it's fine to take a chance on a guy like Kyle Aletta like that, who maybe you believe does have QB1 ceiling if he hits every, you know, if he can overcome that, you know, issue of does his arm talent jump to the next level. For a guy like Jones, who doesn't really share those similar kind of concerns, at least not for me, it's more of just a floor thing, a floor ceiling thing. I just don't think that's even worth the number 37 overall pick. You know, just three selections after the Giants got a player like Will Hernandez in the last draft. And obviously, again, in this draft class, I think there's a lot of really interesting talent uh, that will be available at number 37. So I, I guess that's kind of where I settle in on that one, Nick. But let me ask you oh, – I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, let's transition a little bit to the wide receiver position because this is an interesting one, I think, um, because I don't believe the Giants should be very interested uh, – in this position uh, with anything earlier than the number 95 pick overall in round three, the one they acquired from the Browns, I believe, you know, it's going to be tough to do it at times. I understand this, but the best approach for this team is to go away from the Jerry Reese era and to build this franchise and this roster from the inside. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. From the inside out and not the outside in. So for me, I, I have Marquise Brown, uh, wide receiver out of Oklahoma, Hollywood Brown, A.J. Brown, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, and DJ, D.K. Metcalf, the other wide receiver out of Ole Miss, is kind of my big three. I, I, I have them ranked you know, in a certain order. I don't necessarily believe there's one order for them. I think my injury concerns with, with uh, Marquise Brown, who has a list Frank injury, obviously he went, underwent surgery for it, but that injury is, is not a good one to get, and it keeps cropping up for a lot of NFL players. And then Metcalf with that serious neck injury, uh, he underwent. For me, I don't really see much of a difference. Do you think that any of the? Let me just ask it like this: Are any of these receivers talented enough in your eyes to bypass the the, the philosophy of building the roster from the inside out and to select maybe at number seventeen or even thirty-seven overall? Definitely not seventeen. Um, maybe thirty-seven, and that's a strong maybe. I mean, I, I don't. I think this is where it gets tough. Where you have a roster with so many needs, um, you know, is is like. <laughs> You know, you go across the board and see the position groups that have that have, you know, there hasn't been a lot of improvement on the position groups, you know, the year into this, right? And one area, the biggest area that's dropped off tremendously, you have to admit, is the wide receiver group, right? So you would think that the need would then come that you'd want to bring in someone, but not at not this high. Um, and the guys that we're talking about, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I even Brown, who I like. Um, you know, the guy is one of the guys that I would be thinking about. Uh, I just don't, I think, yeah, you got, you have to find the other, you have to get, you have to, the defense is in such disarray. You know, I, I, what, <laughs> there's so many different ways to go with this. Like they need so many, 
they need defensive backs. They need linebacker. They need defensive line. Like, I don't think you can look at it from a position perspective and go, hey, yeah, you know, we can go if, if, if you somehow have Brown and he's the top guy on the board. I know that's how people, how, how the teams are going to draft. I just think it's really hard to do so when you just don't have a lot of picks this year in the top 100. Um, I, I don't think they can do it. Yeah, and and yeah, injury aside, Hollywood Brown, I believe, is the best wide receiver in this class as well. He'd be my one, if not for the injury. I think, you know, he has that Deshaun Jackson-type game-changing speed. You've talked about this so much, too, on this podcast, Nick, about how the Giants need a player like that. I mean, obviously, a lot of that discussion you had was focused around them having a player like Peckham also on the roster um, at the same time and what that could do. But, you know, it's just – it's not worth abandoning the philosophy, at least according to me and according to you, uh, of building this roster inside out. But let's take a quick preview. Well, I, just, I just hold on one second because you, you bring a really good point. It's something I've thought about the, the past couple of days. In the Beckham trade, I can't believe that in the wake of what happened, they didn't go after Brandon Perryman. After Perryman signs the contract the morning of the, of the Beckham trade, they make the trade for Beckham. It's one year, $4 million deal. And they make the trade for Beckham in the afternoon – um, Dorsey goes to his agent and says, Hey, look, you can get out of this. You know, the, obviously the situation's changed. His targets are going to go to like, you know, the target, the targets are really hard or, and it's and it really tough to get him the ball. And his agent goes, no, we want to stick with it. You know, he wants to be here. He likes the wide receiver coach, everything about it. It's like how the giants don't get Perryman as a kicker. Like, you know, cause you're basically, you're crushing your wide receiver group. And I think, we think that if you get a guy like Perryman, that's enough of a vertical threat. He's better than Coleman from a vertical threat perspective. So just, just to hit that point on the head, it's like, I don't get that. Me and are not on the same page at all with Rashad Perryman. I, I think that he is a injury waiting to happen. Not, not someone, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I think when he's at his peak, I can see what you mean. He's, he's more, you know, he's more advanced from that standpoint than Coleman might be right now. But this is a player who's been former first round pick, who's been bounced around and, you know, probably if you ask anyone in the fantasy football community, and obviously, you know, this is where I, my second job home, my second uh, home resides at PFF Fantasy, uh, one of the biggest fantasy draft busts in, in recent memory. But, you no know, question. I no, saying, though. no question. If you, I'll have a scouting report from the Scouting Academy. They'll definitely publish this one um, because he's had, a, he's had a year with Anthony Henry. And when you check the tape this year, you're seeing developments. Okay. You're seeing details. And that's where it's like, they were the same details I was looking for from Coleman. And I see them very similarly, right? Because they're both basically ex-first round busts. One definitely had a bad attitude. The other one is kind of unknown. Right. And and that's where it's like, okay, like I literally saw that like as the trade's going on, like how do they not want that? Because it's immediate swap the upgrade over Coleman. I guess Coleman's going to make less, right? He's in like yeah. probably the the two and a half like range. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, I get it how it's a little bit more expensive, but you get a guy who's developed under a wide receiver coach. You really know well. So I, I, I kind of missed that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they just missed it. You know, maybe they're not watching, you know, the, the improvements he made in his game. That's may not be a player on their radar. You just never know. Um, but let's move on real quick to, to get to the number 37 pick. And we'll have a more focused discussion on this in future podcasts before the draft. We'll touch a little bit more because we do want to get to your questions as well. But a couple players that we haven't touched on yet that I think could be in play for number 37. Let's start with the big one. I'm starting to get the feeling, Nick, and it's not based on anything, anything I've read or anything I've heard from anyone. It's just based on, you know, a little bit of connecting the dots. The Giants might be more interested in West Virginia quarterback Will Greer than they're leading on. Um, And I'll admit it, I'm even warming up a little bit to him. I do like his quick release. I like his moxie. I like his creativity. Um, I obviously worry about the arm talent translating and the fact that, you know, most of his damage was done in the really, really quick short passing game. 
Um, will he be too limited to take a chance on? Is he some, or is he somebody, is this kind of an eye of the beholder thing for what, you know, different evaluators or different people look for at the quarterback and translating, or where do you kind of see, let, okay, let's put it this way. If the Giants select Will Greer at 37, a number 37 or all, is there any chance of them having their potential franchise quarterback in him? I mean, definitely the potential. There's no way he goes that high. I really, I think there's no way you can get that high on him. I mean, you've got a guy who, in a quick game, he's, he's excellent. Um, and at times did really, really well. Um, you know, there's no one, there's very few guys who could run shallow cross better than he could. And that's an actual play from as an air raid play that based or West Coast slash air raid credit play uh, that they ran a lot at, uh, at West Virginia. There's a lot of misconceptions about Greer. And, you know, he, he read defenses and read, read through progression, like at least a third of the time. Um, there's a lot of people out there that think that doesn't happen in the quote unquote air raid. And how goes version of the air raid is very different and relies on the running game a lot. Um, so it's not, it's just it's a few of those concepts that are taken, but it's not like a pure air raid system, quote unquote. Um, my, the biggest issue with Greer is it's really simple. From his footwork is very good from the, to the top of his drop. Once he gets to the top of his drop and goes into his throwing motion, the guy is, you know, he's basically, he has zero hip rotation. You know, he's throwing with all arm power. His basic his lower body is rarely involved in the throw um, for power. So he's, the fact that he can actually throw the ball like 40 yards of touch is kind of, um, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you know, I, I equate this to if you have a, like a buddy you play golf with, he has a really weird golf swing, but it gets grooved over time and becomes like a 10 handicap. And you're like, how the hell is that guy hitting the ball that well? That's what this is. And I just, I don't know if at the next level, what's going to happen, you know, where clearly he had good quarterback coaching in um, the quarterback coach of, uh, for West Virginia is now the head coach of NT is escaping my mind. But anyway, he, he clearly he's coachable. Um, I just don't know. I, this, this, this to fix that is way too big, I think. Um, and I think guys are going to say, hey, we can get away with it. You can get away with it in the quick game. Right. Um, so it's okay. And yeah, that's right. You know, look, if he has a predetermined read, and actually I just watched this tape again yesterday. I uh, watched the Texas game, which is the game that everyone should see because you see his upside uh, or you see his best game really this year, I think. You know, if he has a predetermined read in the quick game, yeah, he can get the ball there on, on time and on schedule. And I think that, yeah, that. To be honest, that's in a, in a way almost that's better than what the Giants saw this year. But overall, yeah, you're you know you're just seeing it. In, I think mean, you would see it in in the in the deeper passing game, and not that deep, meaning like eleven to twenty yard range. And I think you saw it in you know he he's not his his motion's not repeat. It doesn't repeat well, especially like in Mobile, the ball was going all over the place. And yeah, he's got Moxie, and he played great in that in the Texas game. But I just don't know if I can get over it really into the second round with him. Um, uh, and, and even even in the third round with him, I think it's more of like a fourth round kind of flyer type thing, um, and you know, and and a, and a hope to to get the QB two. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Listen, I, it, I said I'm warming up to Greer, but I'm still, you know, I'm still not fully there with him, and I don't don't think I'll be there with him now. I think I probably view him a little bit higher than a fourth round pick because I think I think I value certain things more in quarterbacks, and I know that. You know, they're not always quantifiable, and there's no way I'm going to be able to prove this, but I do believe that quarterbacks who win a lot of games at in a Power 5 school, at a Power 5 school against Power 5 teams is important. I believe quarterbacks who have a lot of experience at the collegiate level playing against Power 5 teams, that's important as well, especially those who have success from an accuracy standpoint and, you know, just from production, touchdown, interception ratio standpoint. I believe Greer kind of checks all those boxes now. Obviously, you still have a ton of these prospects at the quarterback position who do check all the boxes I just said and then still don't translate to the next level. And that's because of the, a lot of the negatives that 
Nick just mentioned. But I do think that, you know, you, you know, not using his lower body to throw the ball is not as important as it once was maybe for evaluating quarterback position. Now, this is just my opinion on the situation. I believe, you know, that you look at a quarterback like Eli Manning, even who's had a lot of success in his career and he, he is almost an all arm thrower. I know you touched on this before. Um, yeah. The, the way to say it though is Manning's like a functioning quarterback. This is, this is dysfunctional. Okay. It, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's that bad. And when I say it's that bad, it's just that unique. It's like, you, you don't see this. And so, yeah, he, and what's amazing, like I said, he makes it work a lot of the time. So it's just, it's kind of one of those things where it just, is that repeatable down the line? I will say this, we know with Manning, it's not repeatable longer at the, uh, the later he goes in his career. So I think it's hard that that's why clean throwers, like, you know, you look at guys like Josh Rosen, even right. Like, like hands down, like way, like you know, you're talking about night and day there. So I just think that type of thing is kind of, it, it makes it tough longer term. Yeah. Well, it actually helps me transition to another player who I think could be in play for the Giants with some variation of the number 37 all pick. And that's a trade for Arizona, Josh Rosen. Now, I don't think the Giants will be the team to trade for him. I think that, one, Washington will offer more. Um, I think Washington's going to actually offer that first-round pick. And I think they'll get back Arizona's third in addition to Rosen. That would be finally pr- pretty much what I would say is my final prediction if I had to make a prediction on what the trade will be for Rosen. Um but I also, and I also think that, you know, the Giants are in a really tough spot since they committed to Eli. Bringing in Rosen is not the same as drafting quarterback and then, you know, feeding the fans the line of he, he's going to learn behind the starter for a year. And it's a good thing. Look at, look, look, look the Chiefs did it. Because that doesn't really fly the same way for trading for a player like Rosen who already made a lot of NFL starts. But, you know, obviously, Nick, I don't need to go back into this. Anyone who knows my work knows I'm a huge fan of Josh Rosen's game. I'm a huge fan of his fit for Pat Shermer's uh, quick rhythm, play-action passing offense. Do you see Rosen as as strong a fit for the Giants as I do, and would you be willing to trade the 37th overall pick for him? Yeah, uh, I think the 37th would be a good spot. Um, I recently watched five games of his pro tape and then was so confused, had to go back to his college tape. Um, I think, yeah, he's he's everything. He's the points that you've made um, in your work um, and – you know, you've, he's, he's totally scoutable at the pro level. He played a lot of games. You know, he had a lot of open throws. He had a lot of good pockets. He had a lot of terrible pockets. Um, I think the hardest thing that you have to wrap your arms around with, with Rosen is why he missed high so much this year and he didn't do it in college. Um, and I think it has to do with it. His motion didn't change. It was not something technical. It was not something situational. It was both sides of the field. You know, he was really inaccurate. Whereas in the college level, he was really accurate. And I think part of it was just getting used to, or I think it's mostly centered around getting used to the better windows. So if you're right. willing to tr- to trade for him, you got to be willing to say that that's basically going to get better because throughout the entire season, he was doing that. And that's where it's like, it just, it, it gave me a lot of pause to where at first I was like, oh, I'd easily give a first rounder for him. But that's like, let me ask you something before you, before you go dive into why I gave you pause. Let me ask you this. A player who drew a very similar comp to Rosen from Greg Cassell, although he did have Rosen as a better prospect, is Jared Goff. And what they have in common is repeatable mechanics um, and a clean throwing clean, clean throwing motion and a clean ball that comes out. So my question is this. You watch the kind of jump that Goff made in, from year one to year two. You know that you know quarterbacks in general, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, even though obviously he didn't play much in his first year. But the list goes on of quarterbacks who make that year one to year jump, two jump. So now we have a quarterback who played with – the worst offensive line in football, without a doubt, worst ranked by every service, and they had five injuries to their offensive linemen. They changed offensive coordinators and offensive schemes midseason. 
They didn't really have any receiver who could separate, in my opinion, deep for sure. And basically, I didn't really see consistent separation at all when I watched that team from their tight ends or the receivers, um, with the sec- exception of maybe Fitzgerald and Kirk until he got hurt. So you factor all of that in, at least in my opinion, with the fact that, you know, maybe the game was just fast for him and the windows were just not there like he saw them and he rushed his throws or he, you know, he threw a little high for that reason in his first year. Is that plausible or are you seeing something else? No, definitely, definitely plausible to, to the final point. You know, if you, and if you follow Cosell and, and kind of talk to him, he, um, you know, he'll kind of talk about how Goff is. I think that the old, that's a good comparison to make, but I don't think Goff made as big a jump in the second year as people think versus just running a, running, running a play calling mix that was much better matched to him. And he was, you know, he's a mobile quarterback, but asking him to get past his second read, his first read, you know, and his play speed overall, it's still developing. And even for a first rounder, it's still developing. So I, I think Rosen is, is, you know, Rosen coming in as a prospect is better than he was. I think right now it's, I think Rosen's in that regard, Rosen throws well, it threw well with anticipation this year. Um, I think that, again, I think this, it gets into, you know, if you think that it, you have to be comfortable that, that he can be accurate. And that's where I'm, that, that's my biggest question. It's like as simple as like a receiver, can the receiver catch the ball in tight windows? It's the right. same thing. Can the quarterback do it? And I just, when you see it the entire year and then what, what, you know, people talk about the pressure he was under, this is a league. This is a show at least, this is a prove it league. If, if he doesn't prove it, the defenses are going to keep on doing what they did last year. And that's yeah. blitz. So it's like, until that happens, I think that, and that's why I think if, if he goes to the right group or if Cliff does it, um, which I'm starting to think that by the way, that they're actually not going to trade him, um, that this whole thing is, it may even be like a ruse because it, it's so they're being so obvious about it. It's like bizarre. Um, and if I, I think they're open to it, but I think it could be a head fake to get the Raiders to bid very strongly for Murray, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so for Rosen, I think he's worth it. He's worth it, but I don't, um, you know, I think you have to get comfortable with that fact. Yeah. And that's something interesting that, you know, we, we, We'll see where that goes with his year two jump. To me, I think it's based on, like you said, based on what we saw from him from an accuracy standpoint at the collegiate level and based on, um, you know, just his repeated mechanics, both, you know, lower body and upper body with his throwing mechanics. I think all of that leads me to believe that I'd make that bet personally, but I understand why, you know, some people would. But if the Giants don't trade for him, I don't think any of this is coming into fact. I, I really don't think it's their me. I, I, I've been, you know, I'm not going to go back on it. I think the two reasons I said are, are really stand out to me as the two reasons. And I, and I think their decision to commit to Eli will factor in the decision. But that's all we're going to do today for uh, the Giants picks at number six, number 17, and number 37 as far as discussed prospects. We will get to a lot of these defensive backs who I like a lot and I want to hear from Nick on in the next podcast. We're going to do more interior defensive line who I think could be the pick at 37. And then deeper into the draft, we're going to try to find and locate guys to play a lot of positions the Giants need to fill. But for now, let's Passing on a little bit to questions from some of our listeners. And we'll start with Kermudgeon, who asks, can you give me a breakdown of Ed Oliver and how likely he is to be the pick at number six? I think we're going to have to come back on this one. Uh, I don't have – I've not – I've seen Oliver a little bit on TV, and, um, you know, I think that he's a disruptive force for sure. Um, you know, a lot of guys talk about how he was stuck at zero tech in the tight front and how that was – you know, he's going to be even more productive. I like the fact that he has zero tech exposure, you know, kind of like Quinn Williams. Um, and so anyway, I'll come back to you more with, with more of a, a more detail there. Cause we got another question on that one too. And on Ed Oliver, and it's just, it's going to be a, a bigger project. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to Oliver, but as far as what I can tell you, I do think that he, you know, would be an excellent fit for the giants. And I think that, 
not only for the fact that he, you know, has this unbelievable athletic profile that's like rivals Aaron Donald's, but he's also, you know, he had production as well. And obviously there are some issues from that standpoint. It wasn't the elite production or, you know, anything close to what Aaron Donald did. And obviously Aaron Donald also did it in the ACC at a little bit of a higher level than, you know, at Houston. But I do think he's definitely in play. And so we'll definitely get to that soon. Um, Giants Chit Chat asks, can you give what you think are the three biggest pure needs? Um, first, based on below average starters like Wheeler and then on aging and declining vets. The three biggest pure needs. needs. Um, was it first on below, like like two, two, two threes, like a below average starters and the aging or just three overall? Like basically, I guess he's saying factor. I, yeah, I think he's actually asking for two threes. Two so threes, yeah. yeah. So below average starters, um, got to say right tackle. Yeah, you don't have to go much further than we are. <laughs> it has to be right tackle. I think you got to say corner. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, because that's such a premium position. Um, and the third, uh, I would say tight end. I'd say tight end. Wow. Um, end. Yeah, I'm not as high on the tight ends as everyone. I, I, yeah. The two Giants tight ends. And I know Simonson's an RBC kid from New Jersey, so I should I should be. But I, I don't think that both both are as good blocking or as good basically um, receiving threats as they were earlier in the career, or Simonson really hasn't been, period. And you're not factoring in Ingram in this? Uh, correct, correct, correct. Yeah, okay. so I, I'm, I'm in my head, Ingram's still a move tight end slash a fullback slash HR. Right. <laughs> Since I wrote that piece. Um and then the three on um, declining vets, number one, uh, has to be quarterback. Uh, number two, oh, God, I don't want to say this. Number two, I really think is Ogletree. Um, yeah. Oh, God, that just hurt me to say that. I like him. I just – if you watch Devin Bush tackle, it's hard to watch a guy like Ogletree tackle. And you, and, the, and the guy – because he's, just, he's so consistently high. Like you need a guy with good pad level making that stop, making those stops. And then the third for the aging vet um, – I don't know. Uh, yeah, who would your third be? Or like a third? There could be deep safety because Anton Pathé is a, is obviously a stopgap at thirty at his age, and he's yeah. fit right into that aging declining bed. I think. Yeah, he's versatile enough against tight ends. Though. I actually think he may be. A oh sneak, yeah, a sneakily good signing. But yeah, no, it, no, no. It, I think he's a great signing for now. Actually, I actually really think he's a sneaky good signing for now. But my yeah. point is, as far as aging and declining vets go. He maybe not declining, but he's aging. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. The other thing too, it, for depth, a thousand percent. You're exactly right. They need yeah. they need bodies in the in the secondary that are. And no offense to Grant Haley, I think he had a good series, oh, a yeah. good season. But it just oh, yeah. you need you need the actual guys to 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 you know to compete for the positions for sure. And I'll throw in my my quick ones here too. I'll start with Wheeler for below average starters. That one's obvious. I'll I'll jump in with Nick at cornerback because you know I don't count on Sam Beal just yet, and even so, I can't count on. Sam Beal and Grant Haley and Lippitt as their two, three, four at that position. Um, and then lastly, you know, for me, it's that money backer inside backer position alongside Ogletree uh, as far as just below average starters. I don't know what the Giants plan on doing there. If it's Tay Davis, that's not the answer for me. Um, then as far as the other question goes, obviously quarterback. I mean, we don't need to go too much further into that. Um, I actually think cornerbacks on this list too, just because, you know, it's not like, Janoris Jenkins is in full decline yet, but he's certainly aging and declining, as you could see by last season um, versus his other seasons with the Giants. Um, and then lastly, just to throw one more in there, um, you know, I could I could just say safety as well with Anton Bethea because I, I do agree with that as well. Um, and John Pizzo's – we're going to move on to another question here. John Pizzo asks, I'm starting to feel like the Giants will go Greer somewhere in the second, uh, trading back in, or Locke. 
probably moving up earlier than 17. What are the positives and negatives of both, and what do you think their ceiling are? So we kind of already touched on these guys, uh, John. So if you if you didn't get a chance, you just circle back to the beginning of the podcast when we're breaking down both players. Um, Gary, I like this question from Gary Hartman, Nick. This will be a fun one. If you had to guess the Giants' starting quarterback in 2020, who would it be? And will he be on the roster after this draft? <laughs> Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. Okay, Dwayne Haskins. Wow, bold call. Um, very interesting. So I <laughs> – this is a tough question for me because I don't really think they're going to find a starter in the 2020 draft. Um I don't really think they're going to make the move to trade up for Rosen. Uh, will they start a Justin Herbert in year one after another full season at Oregon? Maybe he's going to have to make a bigger jump. Obviously the raw tools are there. I love his raw tools, but I don't know if he's there yet. Um, I'm going to go out on limb here. I'm going to say Justin Herbert. I think they're going to pass and trade up for him in the next draft. Um, Anthony asked us a, another question about Ed Oliver. So again, we're going to put off the Oliver questions for now. Um, Jay Bernard asked us our take on Devin Bush versus Devin White, but we did also kind of break that down, Jay. So we're going to just ask you to circle back to the beginning of the podcast there. Um, here's a new one from Andrew Owens who asks, to what extent does implicit bias play in a role, a, a role in these old school draft evaluations from too much emphasis on size with a player like Jones, uh, Daniel Jones, or to personality, uh, you know, not trading for Josh Rosen, uh, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think that, you know, you're talking about basically the Parcells, you know, the def definition of, or not the definition, but his requirement of certain measurables being met. Or if, you know, I think personality plays a big deal in this. And I actually don't think that's old school. I think that's still a big, a big deal. It doesn't mean that if you don't think a player is right, it doesn't mean that you're saying that he's bad or poor in those areas. Like he's a bad teammate. Like I don't think Josh Rosen is a bad teammate, but I certainly have questions even from his tape as to his personality. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad person. It just means that is he the best fit for what you have in the locker room now? If you have a coach that's real heavy handed and it's like on top of his players and basically like a micromanager, do you want a very strong headed quarterback as well? Well, you know, how does that all work? I think that plays actually like a, a way bigger part than people realize. I think it should. Um, especially at the quarterback position. Um, there's a lot of considerations to be made, and the best way to say it, that's been told to me, uh, is you know, look, if you're an area scout, the top three pit, the top three rounds for your team, you know, your input is one part of it, but you're a lot of cases for teams, you're not even in the draft when they make the make the decision. So like, you know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of considerations, and and so the personality is definitely a big deal. I think that one's intact. I think that the, you know, the old school, the, the old school, I would say that probably half the teams in the league still have firm measurables that they will not move from. Um, so definitely think it, it has a big, big uh, you know, emphasis and influence. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I have a full grasp on this question because I don't know what teams view this in different. I, I think all 32 teams can give you a different answer on this. For sure. Probably. For sure. But, um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting points that Nick just brought up. Um, he, Andrew also asked about my, the, uh, about my opinion of Evan Silva's theory on Francesa running. the <laughs> I think this is more just a joke, um, obviously, but you know, I don't think it's important to answer that one. How likely is Julian love to hit his physical upside? That's another question. So he rounds it all about here. Andrew Owens with a question about a uh, player in this draft. So have you had a chance to look at love at all? I have not. Um, I don't. Yeah, I've, I, I, I can't recall. To be honest, I have a couple of notes, but they're like pretty scattered. I haven't done. This. I've watched Notre Dame's uh, Notre Dame's team, but not not him specifically. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Love just, just from a production standpoint, but, you know, I obviously haven't watched him that much, just some of the things I've read and some of, you know, the grades that he, the way he graded out um, at the at the collegiate level. But, you know, he's definitely an interesting player. At one point, people were talking about him as a first-rounder. Um, Andre asks, if the Giants want to apparently follow the Kansas City model but also want an elite talent, uh, maybe a pass rusher at six, um, is it possible you can see the Giants packaging 37 and 17 to move up for a QB? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Who's going to be selling that? I think that's going to be yeah, right. And that's going Miami, to be, maybe Miami might be selling that. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be one of those things that they don't, they're not going to know until the day of. Right, like, it's going to be kind of crazy for them, which is again why um, you know a lot. Everyone's loving to kind of get into the meetings and, and who's and who's you know who's a top thirty visit for the Giants and all this and that. And I think that's what's important for people to realize is. You know, if you're if you're Pat Shermer and you're in the, and, and things get crazy on draft day, you know, and someone asks someone in the room asks a question on Will Greer, do you want to be like, oh, I didn't fill, all, I didn't check all my boxes, or do you want to have all your boxes checked because you're taking a quarterback in the round? And that's what, and, and or in the draft, I think that's what's. It's a big point that guys like Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, ex scouts talk about. Like the visits aren't necessarily interest. It's it's to it's to make and have get all do all your due diligence on everyone. And then to have the right scope in case of things get crazy, because if you're unprepared, you're, you're screwed. Um, so I think that's where, yeah, I think that they absolutely can move up. And, um, and, and, and it, it, honestly, I think it, I think it's going to be, I, I bet, I bet that Haskins falls to them at six, but I, um, or I could see it falling at six, but I could also eat a 50, 50 shot of them having to, to, to move up for him. Yeah, I mean, let's all hope that's what that goes according to your plan, Nick. Um, because if they're moving up for a quarterback and back, and they're giving up a valuable asset, in my opinion, like thirty-seven overall, in addition to seventeen overall, it better be, in my opinion, for Dwayne Haskins and not Drew Locke or Daniel Jones, because you know I just don't see what they would be seeing there. If that's the case. Um, Brandon Taylor asks, "What about Lonnie Johnson? Do you like him for the Giants?" I've, I've talked about Johnson. I think that's why Taylor brings him up. I like Johnson. I, you know, I found myself watching Josh Allen earlier this this offseason because he's a is a player I love for the Giants. If they somehow have a chance at him, and I kept, you know, there's uh, one cornerback, you know, one defensive back kept standing out to me, and it was actually Lonnie Johnson. He's a really lengthy player, six three. Um, I think he could be an interesting fit for veterans, somebody they can mold. I think he was a big part of why that defense was so good at Kentucky. Um, have you had a chance to look at Lonnie Johnson yet, or should we put that? Should we add that to your list, Nick? Uh, I can add it to the list. Not sure if I'll be able to get there. Um, I watched his, as I pull up my notes, this is live uh, in, in, in Lebanon right now. Um, I had, From his 17 tape, I liked his physicality in man, um, liked his ability to, solid ability to click and close. Um, he's pretty physical. He, actually, I liked, actually, I did like him. Um, yeah, no, I did like him. He's, he's, he, Pretty good agility, pretty good change of direction, able to flip hips. Um, it's an interesting profile, like you said, because it's like, you know, I think he can, I think he can be pretty good in the run fit, and and would yeah. be a, a good fit for what they were good. I think the new cornerback has to be able to tackle, and not in the Tampa two way, and like, and so I don't, I think the guys that just purely cover, I think it's not just, it's not happening these days. Um, yep. So anyway, yeah, I, I think he would check that box, um, and, uh, and 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 potentially definitely a good fit. Okay. Really good point there too, Nick. Uh, one of the reasons I'm not high, I'm Byron Murphy, uh, the Washington cornerback for the Giants, um, just just for this team specifically and some of the other prospects who I kind of feel like the more lengthy and slender, thing, De- slender flame, frame, I should say. Deontay Thompson is another one who stands out to me, the safety from Alabama. I don't, I don't think they're going to make that. I, I get flashes of Darian Thompson sometimes when I watch him play. 
Um, and that was, yeah, that was a disaster for this team. But um, anyway, we're definitely going to touch more on the defensive backs on the next podcast. So keep an eye on that. And we'll definitely now throw in a, a more detailed description of Lonnie Johnson as well. But um, last question for today, Nick, and it's from Jay Heller, recent follower of the podcast. And he asks, with all the hours upon hours of game film, professional scouts, interviews, and depth meetings, A, how important really is the short shuttle uh, three-cone hurdle at the combine? And then B, with all of the above, how do you draft an Eric Flowers or an Eli Apple with your first picks? <laughs> For the first part, um, you know, the I think it's totally position position specific or if you offer the three cone the short shuttle or if you want to get a good sense of what the guy's short area burst is like without pads on you know um and 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 what their raw ability is to do that so for defensive ends if you watch their drills where they're moving around body around uh, big bags and i can't remember the first name all these coaches have a million different names for it but if you go to clinics and you see that drill it, it, it's it's very close to the three cone drill except it's with pads on and they're including basically hand movements and use of hands through it so I, I think that that can give you a good idea but then also i think you know just like everything else the play speed the actual play speed is going to vary to some degrees and for some guys when they put the pads on it's a lot different so I think that the the combine is used as a a measuring stick to then go either increase an amount of tape for someone that you maybe missed and go back and look at, or as just a simple check the box that he that the candidate or the prospect um, prepares himself after you know for what you want to see and be good at. A I e a defensive lineman you know can 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 show that he's worked on on those drills specifically. Besides that, yeah, I don't I don't put a ton of weight there. And uh, being a tape guy, I'm going to throw a lot more behind the tape. And you see, it's a there's a wide range in, of opinions at the NFL. You have guys like San Francisco, who you know, you, he'll hear Shanahan talk and Lynch to some degree. You know how they don't they look at tape mostly. It's not a measurable thing. So teams are all over the map. Um, and for the back half of the question, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't get flowers. Um, that's a tough one, just because. You know, the guy never really has, has his vertical sets have ever really been good. So I don't, I don't really understand that. And then Eli Apple, I don't, you know, I think it's, I think there's a lot of stuff that came with him after the fact that then with the prospect, but I didn't study him then. It's just, I think he has a pretty good raw ability to cover guys in trail technique. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it hasn't really panned out. He had an okay, okay time with the saints, but it's nothing, you know, it's not, it's not that high. I would say, you know, or he would be considered a quote unquote bust. No. And you know, I'll answer this question backwards. I'll answer the second part. Of it. <laughs> Just two words, Jerry Reese. I mean, like you said it best, Nick, there were so many concerns about uh, flowers technique when they selected him uh, and as a top 10 pick. And it's like, that should never, if you're selecting a, t a player like that with a top 10 pick, you can't have the kind of concerns he had from that standpoint. Um, and then when you factor in the fact that he did not have a good work ethic and didn't, you know, at least judging by the fact that he never improved his game, that's something that you, you know, that's, that's also on you. And the same goes back to Eli Apple player, you know, who they fell in love with because he had unbelievable testing, tested speed and length. And, you know, he was only 20, I believe he was only 20 or 21 years old when they drafted him. So they're like, okay, this kid is going to be one of the best corners in the NFL. But, you know, like you said, Nick, uh, San Francisco views it differently. And, you know, Dave Gettleman, at least on record, has has made it clear that he only really cares about the interview part of the combine process. But, to answer the first part of your question, Jay, I actually do think for certain positions. Now, for me, and you know, it's different for everybody. For me, it's the offensive line and it's the edge rushers. And for those positions, I do believe the short shuttle and three cone are extremely important. I think if you look over time, and and now I'll say it like this: I think the only important factors for the three cone and the short shuttle 
are the players who stood out as extremely poor and the players who stood out as extremely uh, uh, exceptional in those drills. Now, there's always going to be outliers. Orlando Brown Jr., the, uh, the tackle out of Oklahoma, who was drafted in the third round because he tested so poorly uh, at the Combine last year by the Ravens, and he had a great rookie season. There's going to be guys like that. But over time, you know, this is where I think analytics really does help because, you know, you're, you, you realize just how big of a chance – you're taking relative to you know what his you know to what the statistics show of players who you know are at either end of the spectrum when it comes to those testing. But anyway, on that note, guys, we're gonna sign off here for Big Blue Banter. I was happy to get back into this today, but I have now I, now I have the fervor for even more. So next week you can expect another episode where we dive more into the draft. And obviously we didn't touch much on the defensive back, so expect a bigger focus there. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Uh, keep it locked and loaded here on Big Blue Banter. We will be with you throughout the rest of this offseason, um, and especially you know in these next few weeks with the draft starting to heat up. We're now almost two weeks away. Uh, you can follow all of my work uh, at Dan Schneier NFL or on 24-7 Sports uh, or the CBS Sports app As if you click on the Giants as your favorite team. Nick, where can we find all of your work? Uh, these days, uh, the easiest spot is my Twitter handle, tmanic21, tmanic21. Awesome. And on that note, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll speak to you soon.